head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe podcast right now to support the podcast and sign up for our premium content and now here's the podcast graham mcdonald is an idiot sean sheehan of severemma.com he even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god this is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 296 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is the pod god Sean Sheehan, joined today by the Darren Fletcher of Irish MMA Media, Graham MacDonald, to talk about one of the biggest nights in the history of mixed martial arts, one of the most uh, insane fights we've ever seen, one of the the best, you know, but maybe not the best cards, actually, it wasn't a great card, I don't think, but uh, one of the... Uh, the, the most uh, significant top two fights I suppose we've seen in, in a good while in terms of mixed martial arts and, uh, and a big uh, obviously change for the world uh, in which we delve here every week uh, so we'll all get into that in a second but first of all let's give a quick shout out to our sponsors Manscaped so Valentine's Day is upon us fellas and make sure you're ready for whatever the night may take you uh, our friends at Manscaped the global leaders in men's below the waist grooming are here to tell you that you need to use the best tools for the job so you can be ready for anything on that special day two million men are already using manscaped products to groom so make sure you're one of them uh and i know <laughs> myself and graham have been using them as well uh, from the start of the year graham you got your uh your your nose and hair clipper there as well the other day didn't you so it's uh manscaped yeah, a lot, the, lot of good the weed whacker the weed whacker yeah you bad, badly the weed needed clean yourself <laughs> up a bit for fuck's sake you badly needed but, uh <laughs> for manscaped anyway your girl can't think uh, uh of what to, to get you this year tell her to get you a gift uh from manscaped that you'll use for her and for yourself so the best way you can get started is the manscaped perfect package 3.0 full of the best products to keep you looking and smelling and feeling nice so the perfect uh, perfect package 3.0 is led by the revolutionary third uh, generation lawnmower 3.0 trimmer with the advanced skin safe technology and features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming uh, accidents Uh, it's also waterproof so you can use it uh, on the shower and it prevents uh, the mess obviously on on the bathroom uh, uh, floor especially when uh, Cupid is, is about to, to shoot his arrow around and let's be real we smell the worst down there so you need the crop preserver and the crop reviver as well these products keep your body smelling swell and uh, <laughs> they avoid smelling and everything like that so uh, and these products smell good as well and I know that myself I have them up here right in front of me they're really good uh, their manly scent is attractive and will help set the mood for Valentine's Day so the perfect package 3.0 will also come with a pair of Manscaped boxers uh, that will keep your junk feeling fresh all day and it's time to upgrade uh, those overused pair of boxers uh, to Manscaped's highly performing anti-chafing boxers easily the comfiest boxers uh, I've ever had without a shadow of a doubt uh, and complete your grooming game with the new Jeez. refined cologne which is coming out very soon uh, what were you going to say there Graham? Uh, G- uh, Jesus we're, we're making our listeners sound like filthy animals <laughs> <laughs> well uh, if they're anything like us they probably are but the cologne is yeah. coming out soon if they're uh, t- typical MMA fans <laughs> yeah typical MMA fans <laughs> and the signature scent manscaped formula this clone is a perfect complement uh, to your collection so uh, it's the perfect package for your perfect package get 20% off and free shipping with the code severemanscaped.com your balls will thank you so 20% off and free shipping with the code severemanscaped.com 20% off free shipping code severemanscaped.com uh, happy valentine's day from manscaped and from severe MMA 
as well. So, Graham, <coughs> crazy night in the world of mixed martial arts last night. Um, there's nowhere else to start, I suppose. We're an Irish MMA podcast, the, the biggest hi- star in the history of Irish MMA, and the biggest star in the history of MMA took what I think has to be described as his worst loss ever you know mcgregor has been beaten on the ground before he's been submitted he's been taken down uh and now wrestled by habib Nurmagomedov. okay he you know he was beaten on the feet a little bit by nate diaz but ultimately he was beaten on the ground and submitted last night he was beaten up tactically on the feet he was beaten technically uh in large parts as a, a mixed martial arts fighter and he was knocked out what, what was your immediate reaction after the fight yeah, well, even during the fight, um, we've, we've we've heard about it for years and talked about it. People talking about kicking the front leg, and we've kind of seen calf kicks come in more often. And Dustin, obviously, that was clear that it was part of his game plan, his strategy. He, he started throwing them early and uh, landing them hard early. And as Connor said afterwards, uh, you know, it, it took the mobility away, and basically his leg felt dead. And that was a uh, we've seen it in other fights with like Mark Jacuzzi. We've seen it with him. We've seen it. Um, do we see it in a hooker fight recently? Yeah, we've seen a lot of mixing it's, that up. But we've seen like yeah. we've, we've seen we've seen it be very effective. Uh, it was kind of a tactic that kind of wasn't really used up until recent years, like the last couple of years. And mm-hmm. it's definitely uh, looking back on it now, like you know, once it's been done by Dustin, you look you look back and you think, well, why, you know. Um, it was kind of an obvious obvious thing to do maybe the leg kicks are different because they're easier to check and you can see Connor was trying to check them but they were, they were just lower in the calf and it's, I don't know how you actually get around how you can check them or how you get around them you basically have to dodge them it seems or you're gonna you're, you're, you're gonna get hit and you're gonna get hit often so having that wide stance that he did in the in the first round or in most of his career he had to kind of adjust to, a, to more of a boxing boxing uh, stance and that made him very limited and obviously the movement was very limited and Dustin was putting on the pressure and once he kind of once he took a couple of left hands from Connor he seemed to grow in confidence he kind of it seemed to click in his head that oh I can take this this left hand because obviously in the the first fight it was uh, probably like you know hanging over him and a, a worry to him that he, he can't take the left hand so I think that once once he once he'd done that and obviously the takedown was another part of his strategy and Maybe it didn't, you know, it didn't win the round, or it didn't wasn't too successful in terms of scoring points or whatever. But it impacted the, you know, the the, the fight. And May Connor have to think about that more and had to expend energy. Even though I think when they when they got when they broke out of the clinch, I think Dustin actually looked more tired initially. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, obviously, uh, yeah, it was an absolutely brilliant performance from from Poirier. Followed the game plan really well, mixed it up really well with the the boxing, the low kicks, the the takedown attempt. It was just a brilliant, brilliant performance by Dustin. Yeah, I, I thought it was absolutely a brilliant performance by Dustin. I suppose it's a good, that's a good place to start because he did. We can we'll talk about McGregor in a second, but like if Dustin Poirier didn't show up and if he didn't have the mental fortitude first of all, because that was the thing everyone was questioning myself and everyone else who analysed this fight coming in because of what happened in the first fight. And I think it was an honest uh, and right thing to talk about, you know, and look at Poirier during the week. You know, he even said it himself. He, when you're sitting in your uh, in your uh, you know hotel room for two weeks what's going to go through your head <laughs> you're doing nothing but thinking about the fight and thinking probably how it's going to go wrong and maybe i'm thinking how it's going to go right as well but you know i think dustin was a bit frustrated in fight week and so and it's a thing as well uh before we maybe delve into the, the, the full fight itself 
I think a lot of people have underperformed this week on Fight Island and have spoken after uh, the fights about how it's been tougher than normal. And I wonder, is that because of the uptake in, in restrictions and stuff? I spoke to Philip O'Connor over on Patreon about it. And the UFC, we've criticised them an awful lot during this pandemic, but they have done, I think, a fantastic job in the last week of keeping things very tight, very tight-knit and very uh, insular in terms of like the hotel and the COVID restrictions. So credit to him for that. But that does lead to... <laughs> The fighters being more restricted and more kind of stuck in their hotel and stuck to the kind of the one place. So, um, you know, it's that's an interesting thing, I suppose, when we're talking about the whole week in general. But for this fight itself, you know, Poirier did. He came out, he looked confident, I thought, walking out. Although both of them looked a little bit nervous. I think McGregor uh, especially. But Poirier came out immediately and threw his hands. You know, he was happy enough uh, to, to trade with McGregor. McGregor landed his fair share of shots. But Poirier's chin stood up to it, you know. And he continued to do exactly what he wanted to do. Mike Brown, he said afterwards, told him uh, to throw those low calf kicks. And that's exactly what he did. He jabbed more, as I talked about, uh, coming into the fight. Uh, and he landed landed that backhand a lot on McGregor so it was a, a wonderful display by Poirier but equally I think it was a really 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 bad display by Conor McGregor I think it was I think it was the worst performance of his career by like a country mile because if you look at McGregor in in the start okay you say he adjusted to a boxing stance but I really think from the very start even though his stance was kind of low and wide it was still more of a boxing stance than what we expect from Conor McGregor or what we've seen for Conor McGregor in the past okay against Eddie Alvarez he he was a little bit like that where he was using kind of his speed to counter Eddie Alvarez but I think Poirier is a completely different animal in terms of of Eddie Alvarez and in that sort of realm like we talked about Poirier coming into it and like he's fantastic boxing Every, you know Max Holloway last week was saying uh, he's the best boxer in the UFC Dustin Poirier absolutely chewed him up for what three or four rounds of, of, of that fight so you can't underestimate Dustin Poirier and I think that's exactly what McGregor did he came out and thought he was going to be able to stand in the pocket and just box up Dustin Poirier but this is a mixed martial arts fight and he got absolutely, you know, his leg chewed up. But I don't, I think, I watched, went back and watched the fight. And I think the leg kick was a little bit overplayed. I think Dustin Poirier did such a great job everywhere. And when he could take McGregor shots, you know, take a licking and keep on ticking. I don't think McGregor had the answer for it. I think McGregor got to into his own head, said, my leg is getting kicked here. My shots are not working. I'm not knocking this guy out. And that, those mental things again, which everyone has talked about McGregor before, you know, giving up and, you know, t when you're you're on the road to losing, keep on keeping on going on that road. And that's exactly what he did. Dustin Barrier absolutely showed him down that road and knocked him out standing. He didn't knock him out with the leg kick. He didn't take him down and submit him. He hit him with a big right hook as McGregor was falling backwards and not fighting back and finished him on the ground. Uh, I thought it was a, a wonderful by Dustin Barrier, but... Equally beyond McGregor, like, and I suppose what are the reasons for that? We look at that performance from McGregor, and usually when you know the McGregor went into the Habib fight, and we there was talk of the 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 swollen ankle and or the broken leg or, or foot sorry or whatever it might have been, and then. Uh, obviously there was talks of him like partying and all of that and now there was no excuses coming into this you know he had a full camp he had everything like that and to me looking at it as fighter a versus fighter b and this is not you know mcgregor versus paria for a second if you look at what made conor mcgregor great right it was that in and out movement the karate style being elusive you know being unable to hit him while he comes in and is faster and is more accurate and more powerful than you and he's gotten away from that 
completely. You know, I've talked, if anyone likes soccer, talked about Marcus Rashford over the last few weeks. What, what he was great at was being, uh, he was fast and he was worked and he harried and hustled everyone. And he's kind of stopped doing that. And I'm like, I'm worried because that's what made him great. I think McGregor has gotten away from, made, from what made him great. And which, like, if you're a big fan of McGregor, I think, in okay, in one way that's very, very worrying because one of McGregor's greatest assets was being extremely honest with himself as a fighter. I think you, you can talk about whatever way McGregor prepares or who he prepares with or whatever, and we will in a second again, but I think he was always honest with his opponents. You know, even Diego Brandao, you know, he, he said in that fight afterwards, he said, I didn't want to come in too cocky. You know, Brandao hit him with one shot and he gave him a bit of respect and adjusted a little bit. To me, last night, he showed Dustin Poirier no respect. He thought he was going to come in and do it easily. He didn't game plan properly for Dustin Poirier. It was a fundamental, uh, real problem with that game plan from second one. Even though he won round one, you could see it. You could see that problem. Anyone watching that fight, I think, was shocked from the very start how little respect he showed from Poirier. Now, he could have come out and knocked out Poirier and it all be grand, but... I was very surprised with that game plan and what McGregor did. As someone you know who's been around him and, and seen all these fights and stuff, do you think like that? Do Do you think it was a fundamental issue with game planning that led to McGregor losing here, or do you think it was just, it, it was something else that happened in the fight or something that Poirier did? Well, yeah, I don't think the game plan worked, but I do think um, that the the leg seemed to be kind of badly damaged. You could see him kind of not taking or not putting as much weight on it, and one stage he kind of stumbled on it into the into the cage. Um, so I did like we've seen it with Chandler before as well, uh, uh, against Brent, Brent Primus. Yeah. Um, once once that's kind of dead, it, there's no real you can't put weight on it. And, you, and like when when you're trying to land big punches, and you know, you, you kind of you're on borrowed time if your legs if your legs compromise. So, yeah, I definitely think that was a huge factor. But he should have been, you know, uh, every, everything in hindsight is easy to say, and I'm sure like he'll go back and look at it and all, but I'm sure he'll be. He'll be working on some way of not just taking those calf kicks, and you know, um, Poirier kind of. I think he, I think he threw a calf kick in the first fight, or was, was that a regular leg kick? Yeah, he, I think it was a calf did, kick yeah, at the very few. start of the, the Dan, first fight. Dan Hardy called it. You know, on, so the on warning the signs were there. Yeah. yeah, you know, the warning sign was there. Like I know, obviously, that fight didn't last very long, but the first thing basically Poirier did in the first fight was throw one of those kicks. So mm-hmm. that was probably part of his game plan that he kind of got away from when he when he felt the. The, the big punches to McGregor the first fight so yeah I think um, you know they, they seem to be talking about Dustin seems to be open to it and Connor seems to want a, a third match so it'll be very interesting to see like how you know is there a way around these these calf kicks when you have that wide stance I don't know if there is like you there know um, there, I'm there, no expert uh, expert martial artist I think it's like, I don't think you need to be what, an expert what, what, martial artist to, to do it I, I, like I think Conor McGregor has that. Like, go back to what he used to be—that in and out fighter. Like, okay, he might eat a couple of leg kicks because he has—he's uh, going to have that wide stance. But it only but, takes. It seems to only take a couple of those calf kicks, and you can your leg can be dead. Obviously, it's like, like you know, maybe you could take on a different day. You could take somewhere. Maybe it's the exact point you hit on the nerve or the muscle or whatever. But you know, when you have a wide stance like that, and yeah, you could go back to the kind of taekwondo karate kind of bouncing yeah. in, bouncing out. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the thinking is in in kind of getting away from that obviously uh you know you try to evolve your style or whatever but you know don't fix what's what's not broken yeah but that was broken last night i think you know and i think he changed what wasn't no broken. i know that's what i mean about uh, that's what i'm saying no no that's what i'm saying before like that the, well, yeah, oh, yeah, the kind of karate yeah, taekwondo yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah that's very true yeah like uh, to me like if you're a conor mcgregor fan I, I think that's a bit encouraging because like 
I think he has the style to beat Poirier's leg kick. You know, maybe he doesn't, you know, maybe he'll come out in the style and Poirier will have a different way of beating him if he fights in a different style. But I think McGregor, like his whole game before this, if you know, okay, Danny Alvarez fight maybe is a little bit different. And it's, it's a bit weird that maybe we talked into that Eddie Alvarez fight too much, even though he had a little bit more of it. But he could afford to fight that way against Eddie Alvarez and, and win that way because he's not as good a fighter and he Eddie Alvarez bit on his shots a lot, a lot more. Like, McGregor... I, I, there's just so much, I think. McGregor is... Um, to me, I've always spoken about it, right? What he is great at is that in-and-out movement while being able to cut off the cage, while pressuring you, while making you throw so he can counter you. You know, I've always called him an offensive pressure... Or, or sorry, um, uh, uh, a counter-pressure fighter. So he pressures you, makes you throw, and then counters. Last night, he was just gone out standing in the pocket attacking Poirier like that's the worst that's the exact opposite of what made him great like and to me that is just it's so bad the way he fought last night but it also is is uh encouraging for a McGregor fan that yeah it seems easily fixable you know it seems like yeah and he said it. No, he said it in the post-fight press conference. I need to get my bounce back. And he was talking. He wasn't talking about anything else. You know, he was talking specifically about his game plan. So you know, McGregor, I think historically has been one of the best people we've ever seen at instantly analyzing what went wrong. And I think he did exactly that. Now, it's <laughs> is he going to get the rematch? Is it going to be an immediate rematch? Who knows? Um, Poria seems to want that he, he absolutely turned down Michael Chandler. He said, "I'm not fighting him." He was yeah. open enough. He said, to one thing I do know is I'm not going to fight Michael Chandler. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, you know, obviously I don't know what's going on there. Like, you know, uh, I, you I, never I know. seen Poria say anything like that. I think I know. Like, remember last year he was supposed to fight Tony Ferguson, and uh, the UF, he said, "Look, give me this amount much money, more money, and I'll fight Tony Ferguson." You know, the, the UFC uh, refused to do it, and then Tony Ferguson said, well, he deserves more money. If he's fighting for this, I'm going to stand with him, and we're going to refuse to fight. And the UFC said, fine, and moved on. You know, I got Poirier a different fight, got Tony Ferguson a different fight after a bit of, you know, back and forth, and obviously Poirier kind of earned himself the fight with McGregor by talking about how, you know, we're going to do the the charity match and kind of forced the UFC's hand. And Poirier absolutely hasn't forgotten that. You know, he was disrespected by the UFC after years and years of fighting, winning all those fights, you know, fighting Habib, fighting McGregor, fighting all the best up-and-comers they have. And now he's in a position of power. You know, he's beaten the biggest star in the history of the sport. He is the best lightweight in the world if Habib Nurmagomedov is gone, and it kind of looks like he's gone for a while now. You know, he'll probably be back. But he's in a position now where, look, I, I have my foundation, I have my hot sauce, I have other things. If the UFC want me, give me a call, and I'll, I'll decide whether I come back or not. Which, to me, is brilliant, because, you know, obviously we're an Irish MMA podcast and all, but, like, we're an MMA podcast, and looking at someone like Poirier, who can get that and who can develop into that, I, that, you love to see it, you know. I'm sure Conor McGregor loves to see it as well because he'd be on that side of it as well. But yeah. it's it, it's a great story, it. like from Poirier's side of things. You know, he came up. We are gonna have that fight film documentary. Came into the UFC as a young guy, kind of built his way up towards a title shot, and then you know lost devastatingly to Conor, and then you know changed weight classes, rebuilt himself, and became the interim champion. Had a obviously a hiccup there against a B, but uh, 
you know, this is a huge, huge win and it's a great story for Barrier and, you know, um, he'll probably, you know, never be in the position of strength that he's in, he's in now unless he, you know, keeps winning for, uh, you know, the next couple of years, mm-hmm. which is unlikely. I, I think at, uh, in the lightweight division, it's, it's you know, Habib's the only, only one, you know, and that's a very, very big rarity. So, uh, yeah, he needs to use that... Um, position of power and if they want him to fight Michael Chandler he needs to be paid he needs to be paid like a like a champion as he said he he was and will probably either you know in the next this year at some stage will probably be fighting for the for the title because it looks like Khabib as you said isn't isn't coming back in the the near future so uh you know these things can change quickly but uh unless Dana knows something that he's not saying then it looks like it looks like that's the case. So, yeah, Poirier, you know, he needs to make hay while the sun shines, as they say. Yeah, and if if you're Dustin Poirier as well, from his point of view, like, the fight you want for the UFC title is Conor McGregor. Like, because you think about it, right? You just beat Conor McGregor. You're one-on-one one with him in the fights. And it's the biggest payday you will get. You know, last night was the biggest payday I'm sure Dustin Poirier ever got. Imagine now he's in a position where he's... The one who just beat McGregor. Okay, last night he was uh, the first or the second one to walk out and all because he was higher ranked. But I think everyone knew it was McGregor versus Poirier and not Poirier versus McGregor. Whereas the next one, okay, maybe not from a monetary point of view, but it'll be Poirier versus McGregor, absolutely. Poirier will be the one going into it as favourite. He will be the one seen as uh, the guy who is, (coughs) you know, reaching the apex of his career in a huge fight. Now, they might do it next, and I, I I, don't know, I feel like they won't do it next, but if I'm Dustin Poirier, you know, obviously McGregor will want maybe the rematch or he'll want the DS fight. You know, for McGregor, it's it's a weird one because, look, someone loses, and you think if they got an immediate rematch against the guy who got just beat him, like, that's a big, obviously, win for them. But the weird thing here is, and, I, you know, I don't know if people, maybe people won't agree with me, but I think the, the weird thing here is, if Poirier got the McGregor fight again, it'd actually be a bigger win for him because it's, let's say he fights Habib, that's a tougher fight than McGregor for him. I think everyone would acknowledge that. It's um, it's less money. The McGregor fight's going to be absolutely bigger money and it's going to like change his career totally because a lot of people remember him for that and remember him for losing to Habib and if he was to beat McGregor and win the undisputed title, it'd absolutely change what a lot of people think of him. So, you know, maybe would it, if he did that against Charles Oliveira, would it be the same? You know, people would remember him for winning the title and beating McGregor, absolutely. But, it, you know, there would be a little bit missing from it, I think. And <laughs> that little bit would probably be about, you know, three or four million quid, maybe. So, for Dustin Poirier, I think he deserves to call that shot if he wants to call that shot. Now, a lot of people might disagree with me and say he beat Conor McGregor, he knocked him out in the second round. And if you do, I, you know, I couldn't disagree too much with that. But, uh... I think it's an interesting one, what Dustin does next and what call he makes, because he seems to be very open to the McGregor rematch. McGregor tweeted this morning uh, that he's kind of wanting the rematch. He didn't say that specifically, but he mentioned Poirier and doing it again. So could that be the next fight for the title? I don't know. What what do you think? Do you think that McGregor versus Poirier could be a rematch for the title? Like a lot of people may be listening to this, and even even myself thinking about this, it was weird last night to say it, but it seems... In the press conferences and online and stuff, it seems like that's the way it's kind of going a little bit. Well, it seems like, you know, it seems like Dustin doesn't want to fight Chandler, so he's looking at either Connor or Habib, I'd, I'd guess. So uh, if Habib's not going to come back, then, you know, Connor obviously would, uh, you know, in the past when we've seen him lost, he wants to avenge that loss as quickly as possible. So he'll be well up for it. And Justin seems to be angling for it. Um, 
at the moment. You know, maybe maybe a nice payday from Dana White could could change his mind. And but uh, like you know, Chandler is the obvious one. He he had a spectacular UC debut in the the co-main event. Mm-hmm. So. You know, he's kind of fresh in people's mind, and usually you'd be kind of pointing towards that. But Justin did shut that down pretty, pretty uh, think, comprehensively. Uh, like so, yeah, yeah. Uh, it looks like you know, mm-hmm. uh, I guess imagine the uproar from the community. But you know, is there a bigger fight for Dustin? And you know, as I said, Dustin needs to to make the money now while he can. Yeah. It, you know, you don't know how long these things are going to last. So um, yeah, I think it probably makes the most sense if Habib's not going to. Not gonna return. Yeah, from from a sporting point of view, I suppose. Which uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> talking about MMA from a sporting point of view is probably the wrong thing to do. But Charles Oliveira is is the obvious yeah. one, you know, for uh, for Par for Paria. Sorry, as the COVID comes up on me. But as but, you uh, said, for Paria, though, know, is that gonna is that gonna sell? Like you know, is that like you know, pay per view percentages of that? Are gonna be that high? Like maybe maybe Paria will get a huge bump from this. You know, maybe I, this pay-per-view did a lot of numbers out. It's an odd one, though, because I don't think you will get as much of a bump. But say, like, when Nate beat McGregor, like, Nate automatically became a bigger star. You know, people kind of knew Nate already, but, you know, people talk about him as a needle mover. Both McGregor and Parry, I mentioned him last night. You know, he got the big bump. Habib got the big bump because McGregor was coming from the fly Mayweather thing and all. But I think now McGregor... Last night was more about, I think, McGregor kind of saying... A lot of people last night are saying McGregor's finished, you know? Before, I don't think they were really saying that when he beat Habib. He was just, look, he was beaten by a way better fighter, a way better wrestler and all. And, you know, whether you believe he's that, now you, you know, that's... But that's what people were kind of thinking. And in the Nate one, it was like, oh, he went up to 170 and, you know, they're going to do a rematch again almost immediately. So it was, it was a different type of feeling. But last night... Last night was another one, and I suppose that's the next kind of topic. You know, McGregor is he finished? L- last night, you know, he went into the press conference afterwards, and he he was like, "I, you know, I don't, I don't really, I feel that bad after losing." You know, it was like, and and he could see it in his face, and he said it straight out. He's like, "It's weird that I don't really care that much," and and I don't think that was a specific war, but anyone who listened to the press conference knew it. And it reminded me of after the Mayweather fight or the bout, sorry, where you know. McGregor went into that fight and he knew that he wasn't going to win. Like, he's no idiot. Like, he knew he wasn't going to beat Floyd Mayweather. Now, I'm sure he, like, thought, okay, there's certain shots and maybe I could knock him out. But he's no fucking idiot. He knew he wasn't going to win that fight. And afterwards, it was like, look, you know, he said, I remember the famous line afterwards, he said, it felt like half a fight. And he was he was kind of happy with, like, look, I did pretty well. I won a couple of rounds and I got my money and all like that. Felt like last night... Even himself saying it, and like, which was a bit odd. It was like he didn't really mind that much that he lost. And okay, maybe his mindset has changed, and maybe it's all about competition and getting back in there. Um, but and, and we'll talk maybe in a second the next topic about what went wrong and what can be changed. But what did you think of that? Like when McGregor was kind of coming out saying, mm, I, you know, I, I don't feel that bad after losing. Yeah, well, maybe he's, maybe it's in, in kind of in comparison to how he felt in the Habib Habib loss and mm-hmm. you know uh, the Diaz loss, even where it was kind of the first one in the UFC and he'd kind of you know not prepared properly and you know kind of just ate his way up to to one sixty eight or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was more frustrating or you know being the first time and and all that and you know uh, 
he can kind of derail his plans to become the, the double champ or whatever at the time. And then obviously the, the Habib one was a bit personal. So that may, maybe it's in comparison to that. He just didn't feel as bad. But yeah, it's, you know, uh, I'd be shocked if it didn't, if it didn't sting for, for a few months anyway, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd say that was probably just in comparison to how he's felt in the past with losses. Yeah, and like, yeah, I, I, maybe it was, maybe it was, maybe it's, you know, the, the thing, the thing about it, right? If you look at it, Conor McGregor, as Dana White said last night, he was on his yacht. He wasn't even in the hotel with the other people. I know he, was, he had a room in the hotel. I don't know if he stayed there or not, but he was on his yacht and he was looking down and he was wearing like his Versace pajamas or whatever they were, and he was coming into the fight and. I don't know. There's just there has to be something to that. That like at the end of the day, right? McGregor to me came in there last night, and he, you know, he said beforehand, and he said it a couple of times now that I paint many different pictures, and I'm, you know, I'm going to paint a masterpiece on Saturday night and stuff. And I know that's kind of just words and just fight talk and stuff, but it felt like he was trying to be, you know, an artist a bit last night, and it felt like it felt like. Dustin Poirier was a fighter, you know, and that's not a good way to be, and especially when you're in your, you know, your your silk pajamas and your silk bed sheets on your fucking million, hundred million dollar yacht, like that cannot be a good <laughs> a good thing. I don't think. No, you know, it, it might have worked out for him, and it might work out for him in the future, but it feels like life for conor mcgregor is a little bit too easy at the moment you know and he obviously you know he has his struggles and he has obviously things coming out this week and and everything like that and he's had trouble outside of the, the cage and everything but it, like there was a struggle to mcgregor coming up and you know we know the the famous interviews he's done with you and he's done with ariel and and the the uh the documentary and everything that he didn't have a pot to piss in and okay look it was maybe a little bit overplayed you know he lived in a a nice estate and a grand house most of his way coming up but like still you know he he came from a, a an estate in dublin to be a hundred millionaire or whatever it is and to, to be the biggest star in the history of his sport but now he is the biggest star in the history of his sport. And it's like, you know, it's like those rappers when, you know, they're, they're on the way coming up and they're poor and they're rapping about the struggle and all. And then, you know, they're doing it when they have fucking 500 million in the bank and sold out tours all over the place. It's just not as genuine maybe as it once was. And maybe that's an issue for McGregor. You know, maybe that's the issue. Maybe he needs to buy a fucking three-bedroom house in an estate and move back there and, you know, give himself a grand a month to, to live on or something. I, I don't know. It's Do you think that kind of plays into a little bit? It's not just specifically Conor McGregor, but anyone in that position. And he just happens to be the only one almost in the history of the sport to be able to put himself in that position. Do you think that's an issue that for McGregor and why he's in okay. this position now? Isn't, isn't there like an old saying that they use for like boxing and stuff about getting out of the silk sheets? Yeah. Some, there's something like that, is there? Mm-hmm. What's that saying again? Yeah, it's like, it's, I don't I know. Can't remember exactly, but it's something but like that. It's, it's harder to get out of silk sheets in the morning than it is when you've cotton sheets or something. Yeah, yeah and like, you know, um, when you're up and coming and you have nothing, you know, you don't have a pot to piss in or whatever, whatever people want to want to say, like, you're, you're kind of, your focus is kind of not, taken away by you know whiskey businesses and sponsorships and uh, kids and all this sort of stuff you know there's so much stuff going on and you know it, it definitely is hard for anybody you know any fighter not just connor when they when they have a lot of people pulling out of them wanting to do things in different directions obviously with connor it's amplified as well but you know he was able to kind of deal with that for a while at the start so 
I don't know, maybe this is just like, you know, bad game plan, bad, um, uh, good game plan from the opponent, uh, bad day at the office, kind of bad camp, or not bad camp, but, but the camp seemed to have gone well, but just the, yeah, the, they weren't expecting what this one was going to do and the, the game plan for, for a different fight, basically, it seemed. Or, you know, obviously the leg, um, the leg played a big part in it, but, uh, you know, maybe that should have been something they could have been expecting, you know, if... Uh, it's easy to say all this afterwards, but I don't think it's a case of, you know, uh, you're finished or anything like that because you're you don't care anymore or you're you got too many things going on. I think you know it's it's deeper than that. Yeah, look, I wouldn't say he's finished immediately, but he's at a very very important stage of his career. It'll either go very badly from here on out, as we've seen in the past, or he will be able to bounce back, and. I think he needs a fundamental change to be honest. I I think it's time to move on from his gym. I think he needs to I think he needs up sticks and move somewhere else and I think he needs like I think the biggest thing he needs and he said it last night, you know, I, I never experienced that low kick before. Like wh- how how can you be a double champion of the world and never experience that low kick? Like I I don't understand how that's possible. Like if if I I was thinking last night if if I was Conor McGregor, if I was advising him, do you know what I tell him to do? I tell him to buy a house over in New Zealand and get in there with Eugene Behrman and have him tutor you for the next year or next six months even and come back and fight maybe a tune a little bit of a tune up fight and then go in to fight a big fight. That that's what McGregor needs to do. You know, go in there and train with fucking Adesanya and Hooker or whoever else is in that gym, that mad gym coming up with all their you know, their great fighters. And, you know, buy yourself a three bedroom house over there and don't leave beyond your means. Don't be going around in fucking yachts and stuff like that. And New Zealand is open as well so we can go around there. you can do a little bit of stuff, your two week quarantine and move over there. That's the sort of thing he needs, you know? I, th- I think he needs a big change. Because there was a big... I, I think there was an issue last night, and, you know, we can call out Conor McGregor all we want, but he's people in his corner as well. And I think he came out and he fought a very boxing fight last night. And you can... People may say, oh, he was, you know, with Phil Sutcliffe, and you can blame him. But, like, if you go to Usain Bolt, what's he going to do? He's going to teach you how to fucking sprint. You know, he went to a boxing coach, and he taught him how to box, and he taught him to go out there and box. Like, his other MMA coaches, John Kavanaugh, Owen Roddy... How did they not tell him not to do that? How did they not tell him that his leg was going to get eaten up? We've been talking on this podcast for the last couple of years about those low calf kicks. How did they not know those were going to come when you're standing there in the pocket in this boxing stance? Like if, if you know, McGregor's very honest with himself and I think he'll go back and watch that and he would be thinking to himself, why did my corner never tell me this? Like, are they just agreeing with everything I'm saying or everything I'm thinking or everything Phil is saying? You know, it's... To me, that's worrying. That's a worrying, worrying side. And, you know, I spoke to McGregor last year, and he said, you know, that he dis- totally disagreed with me on that. And maybe he'll disagree with me again, and maybe lots of people will disagree with me. But, like, that's a question that has to be answered. And maybe it's not the case of, you know, throwing away his corner, but maybe it's a case of bringing other people in. But I think McGregor needs a big change because he's at a big point in his career. You know, he's at a stage where he has kind of left the past behind him, he has developed into this new fighter, this, you know, huge prize fighter. And he, I think, to get back to where he wants to get back to, if he wants to get back there, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he just wants to have a, fuck, uh, a couple of more prize fights uh, and be on his way. And, you know, if he does, absolutely not wrong with that. But if he wants to get back 
to the best, if he wants to get back to a champion, if he wants to get back to someone good enough to beat Poirier and Hooker and Ferguson and all the rest of them, I really think he needs to do it right. You know, he needs to have the right game plan. He needs to have the right technique, the right tactics, the you know, the right preparation. And, you know, it seemed his preparation was very good. It seemed he was fit. It seemed, you know, he was, he was um, in great shape and all like that. But what let him down was the game plan. And, uh, you know, I, I think... You can't look at, you know, and maybe if someone else went out there, and like Dan Hooker last night, we, I know we'll get to that fight in a second, but like, it, it, Dan Hooker isn't in the same spotlight as Conor McGregor, and we're not going to be calling out his coaches, and we're not, you know, and, uh, you know, okay, maybe, uh, I don't know who's in his car last night, and I'm, I'm suggesting McGregor goes and fights in, in, in his way, but like, McGregor isn't, or Dan Hooker isn't the talent that Conor McGregor is, or doesn't have the talent that Conor McGregor has, and the style and the ability that he's developed for himself over the years, Dan Hooker's a good fighter, but Conor McGregor, like look at Max Holloway the last day, how good he was, and Conor McGregor actually boxed him up before, and the same, you know, McGregor's beaten Paria before, and he's beaten Eddie Alvarez, and beaten all these great fighters, and the fact that, you know, and as well, what makes a great fighter is your ability to adjust in a fight and for your corner to maybe tell you what adjustments you need to make. He didn't adjust. He got worse in the second round. You know, he got worse and he's, it's, you know, it's, uh, that's a big problem. That is a big problem. And, you know, I don't know uh, if everyone would agree with me or not or maybe they'll totally disagree with me and maybe I'm going overboard. But that's what I think. I need, I think he needs a big change and I think he needs, uh, you know, he needs something that will kind of kick him back into gear. What, what do you think? Well, I think, you know, it's easier to adjust in the fight uh, if you, if your leg isn't compromised as well. So, you know, maybe these things were recognised and didn't, weren't able to be implemented. But obviously, um, yeah, uh, I don't, I, like, uh, I think at SBG, obviously he's a, a loyal guy. He's like, that shit needs to end. You can be as you loyal know, as you want, but, but if it's going against you and it's hurting you, you need to forget about that. Yeah. You know, I think you could probably bring in like whoever you wanted, you know what I mean? You can set up a camp and you can, you can pay whoever you want to come in pretty yeah. much. Obviously maybe certain guys that have a distaste for him due to like, you know, past, past, Fight, some of their past fighters fighting them or things like that or you know maybe not everybody but pretty much everybody you know has their price and even those guys probably have their price as well could come in if you wanted to but you know I, I, I don't know like if he was to you know come in with a good game plan against uh, Dustin and kind of be prepared and look like his old self and then and then lose then maybe and maybe you know you'd be yeah. thinking, oh, and something major needs to change here. But until we see him go in there with a good game plan and you know ready for these calf kicks, haven't felt them in the past and haven't trained for them and all that stuff, um, and kind of you know taking Dustin more seriously, um, more respect for his skills, then it you know it could easily be a different story. But if it isn't, then you know maybe you start thinking about making major changes. Yeah, I don't know. Like you can leave it too long as well. You know, you can you could definitely leave it. Too long. And you know, McGregor said last night that inactivity was a big part of it as well. And you know, maybe people say that's excuses, but it it you know it's definitely a thing. And I saw a few people saying last night about why aren't these guys? Yeah, well, we talk about it all the time. Yeah, we talk about the inactivity thing all the time. Like it's it's MMA evolves very quickly, and there's a sharpness that you can't really get in the gym that you you know under the bright lights or whatever. And the pressure on those feelings that you can't really experience anywhere else and that, that obviously plays a part as well but um, yeah I don't think that was a damn major factor yeah uh, one last thing as well in this fight and I, I don't think it's a major factor either but I, I, I kind of felt it and I feel like I need to mention it as well like when he walked when McGregor walked out you know McGregor 
before the fight, and I was talking about, and other people were talking about as well, about there being no crowd there, there was supposed to be no crowd there, and, you know, it was a chance for McGregor maybe to show his skills off a little bit more, and I think he was looking forward to that, he said it, and then the fact that he walked out, and there was like, oh, there's a crowd there, but there's like, you know, 2,000 people there in an arena that could fit, I don't know what, 16, 17,000 or whatever, and it felt a little bit dead, okay, there was a little bits of olays, olays and stuff, but, you know, I spoke to Robbie Fox last week, who was at the fights um, during the week, and he said, like, there was, there was someone in um, in one of the, the upper decks or whatever, you know, people who go in and get their meals, and someone, uh, one of the waiters brought out uh, a plate, and it broke, and he said, in the middle of a fight, everyone turned around and looked upwards, in in it like a, a big arena like that, one person, one plate broke, and everyone heard it. You know, so that's it, there's kind of an eerie, odd feeling in that arena. I think, and it, I think like the fact if McGregor was kind of prepared for no one being there, it would have been a little bit different. Uh, or prepared for everyone being there, it would have been a little bit different, obviously. But um, you know, I, I don't think that was a major factor either. But I think it was a little bit odd, kind of walking out, and even for Parry and everyone else. You know, I think. You know, we, we talked about it on the podcast, but, you know, Neil Magny the last day, he very much underperformed. I think Calvin Cater very much underperformed. We've had a good few people. And Parry himself last night, he said he found very weird. He was sitting in the dressing room and didn't feel like he was at a fight at all. I feel like this week, more than any week, everyone has kind of felt a little bit weird and a little bit off. So, you know, it's not just a factor, and I'm not using it as an excuse for McGregor or anything, but it seems like it was, it's was it been a factor for everyone uh, where that kind of maybe wasn't a factor before in these ones. But however, uh, look, it's obviously a big time for McGregor. And, uh, you know, hopefully he'll be back. Hopefully he changes things up. And um, I'm looking forward to, to, to seeing what's next. And obviously there's a lot to talk about over the, the, the next coming days and weeks, and we shall do that. And for Dustin Poirier as well, as, as you mentioned earlier, Graham, it's... What a, what a career, you know, what a turnaround in his career from losing to McGregor and maybe not pe- people writing him off, but people maybe writing him off as, as a top fighter or a championship level fighter. He has proved all those doubters wrong, he's improved his game, he's improved his mindset, he's becoming a star now and fair play to, to Paria, you couldn't praise him more. You know, I've, I've been drinking with Paria before in, in Dublin when he was over that time and he's a nice lad, you know, everyone said he's a nice guy. I remember um, he had blocked Patrick on uh, <laughs> on Twitter uh, because, like, I don't know, Patrick, he, he gave out, he was like, he called the Irish people like sausage-eating pricks or something and Patrick like snapped back at him. Wasn't anything too bad, but um, I was like, here you block my brother on Twitter, you know, about 20 points deep. Uh, let me unblock him. He's like, ah, nah, he deserves to, uh, to be blocked and about a half an hour later he just threw his phone at me and was like here I'll block him there <laughs> and he just like gave me his phone I went down and unblocked him and followed him and it was uh, you know it was, it's kind of a fun moment from a kind of a funny lad so I think a lot of people around Irish MMA who were around him that kind of week grew an admiration for Dustin Poirier and you know I think McGregor likes him too and I think a lot of people like him and uh, you know to, to kind of end the chat on this I thought to, to end it on, on a positive for Poirier I think is much deserved and, you know because a lot of the chat's obviously going to be for McGregor but uh, fair play to, to Dustin Poirier. Um, right, let's move on and go through the rest of the card pretty quickly. Not a great card, I don't think. Uh, but in the co-main event, Michael Chandler beating Dan Hooker. I thought this was great game planning from Michael Chandler because Hooker... You know, I, I don't think it was necessarily bad game planning from Hooker either. Hooker was trying to be elusive. He was looking for that knee up through the middle. He was trying very much not to get taken down by Michael Chandler. But I thought Chandler cut off the cage really well. He used his speed really well. Uh, and uh, he's like... The way Chandler was able to... Um, 
to throw those big hooks. You know, a lot we, we talk about it an awful lot uh, about how you cut off the cage and smart ways of doing it. Uh, and I think the fact that Handler, Chandler broke inside with kind of pure pig-headedness through that right hand low, which kind of stymied um, Hooker in one direction and made him go quickly to the other direction. And he came up with that kind of leaping left hook and hit him hard and knocked him down. Mark Goddard gave him a good opportunity, Dan Hooker, to, to uh, come back, but he wasn't able to, and it was a good stoppage. Uh, but I think a fantastic uh, setup shot by hitting the body and then coming up with the left hook, uh, and a very good performance for Michael Chandler against a, 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 look at a tough guy in Dan Hooker. He's been through big fights and big, um, you know, long fights and taking lots of shots and not being knocked out, and then Michael Chandler does it to him. What, what did you think, Graham, of, of uh, Michael Chandler in his UFC debut? Yeah, it was a brilliant debut. Uh, he kind of, you know, he went out there and seized the moment. You know, he it looked like he didn't want to win the decision. You know, he he probably could have pretty handily won the decision if he, if he wanted to with just kind of wrestling. But he went out there to kind of prove a point and make a statement. And, you know, uh, I kind of said last week or the week before that uh, it wouldn't be too big of a thing for him. He didn't really... You know, it seemed like he didn't really have the UFC in as high esteem as some open, other up-and-coming fighters or people who want to get to the UFC. But in the in the press conference beforehand, he said that you know everything pales in comparison to this in in his mind. So he obviously uh, it was a huge moment for him, and he wanted to go out there and make a statement, and he definitely did. And you know, he grabbed the mic afterwards and kind of called out a couple of people. I thought it was I don't know. I saw the reaction very positive towards it, and you know, it's better than saying nothing or calling out you know Jared Cantonier or something, but. <laughs> Uh, I thought it was a bit cringy. It, it seemed a bit forced or something. You know what I mean? It didn't. It didn't really seem. I wasn't as impressed by it as uh, as most seem to be. I, I seem to not really. But not. It, it seemed a bit rehearsed. You know what I mean? I. It's funny because I. But, I. I, I liked it, and I thought. I, I, I liked that, and I thought most people reacted to it in a kind of a hateful way, and everyone hated it. I thought it was a good promo. You know, he called out McGregor, he called out Parry, he called out Habib, and you know, I said he, they were calling him the Ric Flair. <clears throat> of of MMA or something on uh, on Ariel's show, and um, you know it was a Ric Flair line he used at the end. So you know, okay, for some people it's maybe a bit pro wrestling, but I like that sort of thing. And it like it was a bit pro wrestling, but it also made the statement like I want these guys. These are the guys I want, and it's good for like imagine you can imagine a promo where he mentions those guys and he's like you're you know you're coming for everything i think or whatever you know and then i thought it was good i thought it was good. like you can criticize it all you want but is if you look at that and you look at someone else and they ask well, who do you he, want he hit the key i think he hit the key notes like he mentioned the names and you know it was quick and he didn't ramble on but i, yeah. I just thought it, it did seem a bit like kind of out of character and it didn't it seemed it seemed like bit unnatural but it seemed to go over pretty well or get people talking anyway at least so you know his, his performance definitely did that and we're talking about it now maybe and you know uh, a lot of guys have post-fight interviews and you have there's no there's nothing to talk about so yeah it's definitely done its job but I, it definitely seemed a bit uh, you know um, yeah, unnatural to his character yeah although he's done a little bit of a poor but yeah I think the, I, I was just about to think like oh, who's uh, Chandler going to fight next but like I don't think that's really a great discussion. We'll see. We'll you know we'll see. Like it, it looks like Oliveira is gonna fight Gaethje. So like is Chandler gonna fight for the title? 
against Poria. Poria seems like dead against that, but maybe his mind might be changed. Does Chandler want to sit out for a while? I don't know. So like it's it's an odd one. For I think it's almost easier to look at Dan Hooker and say he, who he's going to fight next. I like Dan Hooker versus uh, Tony Ferguson. What do you think of that fight? Yeah, well, loser versus loser is kind of what we got used to over the history. But you know, I wouldn't be that surprised if they just drew Tony in against Chandler. I yeah. know, yeah. I know Chandler is. Uh, I know Chandler's, you know, coming off a victory or whatever, but he is only one fight into his UFC career, and Tony's a big name, and it'd probably be a nice enough fight for Chandler if you, if they want to build him into kind of a into a known known guy and a title contender in, in the fifty four division. You know, obviously Bellator, he's been at the top of that for a while, but a lot of people don't really pay attention to you until you're until you're in the UFC. So, you know, a win over a big name like that after beating Dan Hooker, who uh, uh, you know maybe is like well known to MMA fans but outside MMA fans maybe isn't that well known but Tony Ferguson is well known due to his antics and due to Joe Rogan Eddie Bravo and stuff like that talking on podcasts about how great he is mm-hmm. um, you know uh, he's been in big fights he was on a long streak people kind of don't really care if you're coming off a loss people don't even know most people don't even know mm-hmm. uh, so yeah I could see that happening and the UFC matchmakers kind of got away from loser versus loser winner versus winner yeah being being too <clears throat> being too strict on that, so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Tony next, depending yeah. on what shape Tony's in. Yeah, Rafael dos Anjos is around there as well. He got a good win, you know, in his, in his last fight. So I would mind seeing Chandler versus dos Anjos. Uh, that's a kind of a big name, former champion as well. So you know, if Chandler isn't going to get one of the top fights, maybe that's the way to go. But I feel like mm. I don't know. Maybe if, they could if they if they want to get him a, a win, they could throw him in there against Anthony Pettis, who's talking about him. You know, fighting again oh, no, at fifty-five. Gone. So, Pettis, Pettis is gone. Pettis, you know, Pettis gone to. Uh, oh yeah, sorry, PFL, sorry, right? sorry. Yeah. Bellator yeah. or PFL? Oh, PFL sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. But, yeah, maybe, yeah, fucking hell. Maybe Felder. You know, there's Benil Dariush is definitely deserves a big fight. He's got three or four wins. He's still ranked number twelve. I don't know how he should be higher ranked than that after all he's done in the last year. But yeah, there, look, there's some great fights there. But uh, in the words of Dana White, we, we'll see how it plays out. Um... After that, then, John Calderwood put on a great display, I think, against Jessica Ayu, who put on a pretty bad display, to be honest. I uh, I was roaring at Je- Looking at Jessica Ayu, I was like, roaring like, take her down. Why are you not going for a takedown? I was like, the last 20 seconds of round two, where she went for her first takedown and took her down easily and put her on the ground. I was like, why? You're fighting John Calderwood, right? Who is, you know, a good striker, if not a great striker, and you're getting chewed up on the feet a lot of the time. And, like, she, Sean Calderwood is known for not having the greatest takedown defense. She's known for, like, getting submitted and having not the greatest jiu-jitsu as well. And you're there and you have takedowns in your arsenal and you don't bother taking her down. Like, the third round then, she did, she took her down a, a good few times, but she didn't do much with it and stuff. But, like, if you had taken her down in the first round, taken the air out of her, taken the gas out of her, you know, even a little bit like Parry did, took McGregor down, put him against the cage, tried to take his gas. I don't think it necessarily worked, but it's a good long-term game plan, especially if the fight goes to a decision, you know, goes three, five rounds or whatever. It was just so frustrating So watching this fight from her point of view. But from Calderwood's point of view, if you're a Scottish person watching this up the cells, uh, and a very good display from John Calderwood, I thought it was, I don't know if it was the best display of her career, but right up there, you know, she, she chewed up Jessica, she was much the better fighter in there, and absolutely deserved the win, 30-27 on two cards, 29-28 uh, on another one, so a great display. What, what did you think of, of Joanne Calderwood? I know she's been... She's been kind of uh, inconsistent in her career, hasn't she? But a great win for her here last night. Yeah, she she definitely is inconsistent. But you know, as you said, we, Jessica, oh, he played into her, played into her her kind of best best game. You know, she 
you know, it's just it's it is frustrating sometimes when you know, uh, as you were saying, you're you're watching it kind of shouting at her to to go for the takedown, and even even if you don't get the takedown, it, you know, it, somebody like Yuan Calderwood has been yeah. finished before um, in in that realm it makes her think and kind of puts her off her strikes or makes her have to adjust a bit as well, and it's just um, either very bad game plan execution or the, the game plan itself was, was wrong because, as you said, when she did go for the takedown, it seemed seemed like she was able to get them easily. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's uh, it's. Um, you know, you played into played into her hands, and you and you lost. So, um, you know, uh, it's hard to say if if Caldwell has turned a corner or if she's she's still inconsistent because we, she, you know, she wasn't really tested where we know she's she's weak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I once famously said, you you play the game of Thrones, you win or you go to fucking Bellator, and that's where Jessica could be going after this loss, unfortunately for her. But sure, we'll see how it plays out. Um, after that, then, we had Andrew Sanchez losing to Mahmoud Muradov, who looked very good. But the one thing I listened a couple of things in the production last night. I thought the production was kind of poor, but I absolutely hate when they go to corners in the middle of a round and they're like, there's no commentary and, like, half the screen is taken up. Well, maybe not half the screen, but, like, the side of the screen is taken up by these lads talking in the corners. Like, they're, like, roaring, three, four, eight, nine, nine, nine. You don't know what they're fucking saying anyway. Why are they going to these corners? And then there was like a knockout almost as they were in the corner and then they, they, they slipped back to it again. It was, oh, I, I hate that shit. But look, a great uh, performance from, from Moradov Sanchez, a guy who's been in the UFC for a long time and, and a good win for him, but that wasn't great. Also thought at the start of the of the pay-per-view, they had like, they had like these drones and it was like, I, I was watching, I was like, what what's going on there like what are these just these random lights and they had like random words with no pictures and like they had mcgregor some saying something they had Poirier saying something i don't know they had chandler hooker maybe and i'm like is did they fuck this up again because dana white said last week they fucked up the the the, the like the entrance to the pay-per-view or last month or whenever it was uh and i thought they fucked it up again but then they kind of zoomed in and it was like oh these are drones going around i'm like Oh yeah, well, that would have been cool if we'd known what they were for the last 20 seconds while thinking the entrance was fucked up. I just think they kind of tried to make something special. You know, if you were in the arena, I'd say it would have been class. You know, kind of like KSW do it. And I I give them credit for trying something, but it absolutely didn't work on TV whatsoever. And I thought it was... uh, I thought it was a big miss there, and they need to stop doing that shit in the middle of the rounds where they they go over. But, you know, as well, while we're talking about that, I suppose... um, Cormier and Felder had a terrible point in the middle of one of the fights where they were talking about judging uh, and takedowns and like delayed takedown winning the round but other than that I thought they were good again you know I, uh, I, I thought Cormier I'll give him credit he called a couple of the fights well with the takedowns when needing to, to you know offensively uh, or effectively strike to win the round and stuff so uh, you know he's listening to my podcast I did with uh, with Vin Cartledge and speaking to Bin and looking at the criteria has obviously helped him. I still don't think he's the greatest commentator in the world and uh, and he gets too carried away and stuff. But from the judging point of view, he's definitely improving and it's a process and it takes time and you can't learn it overnight. But uh, I think he's doing well with that. But anyway, um, Amanda Hebas lost as well. You know, a lot of people, including myself, had big, big um, you know expectations for Hebas. But she, she, you know, she got knocked down. Herb Dean, though. How bad is Herb Dean? She got knocked down. Herb Dean came in, fell on top of her. Uh, Rodriguez thought the fight was over, so moved away, walked to the other side. Herb decided, no, actually, I didn't um, in, finish the fight. She came back in. He, uh, he, uh, he best got up. Rodriguez came back in, punched her in the face, like, once or twice. 
and then Hardeen stopped it standing. Now, the stop, the last stoppage, I think it was probably fine. It happened by itself, grand. But like, how? Like Herb Dean, they call him the goal standard. Joe Rogan calls him the goal standard. No, Joe Rogan probably doesn't watch that much MMA anymore, or doesn't pay attention to the officials or anything. But like Herb Dean is the worst referee in MMA. He has fucked up so many big calls recently. Got so many people hurt. Change the career of people like Chris Weidman. I need. I really think Herb Dean needs to be taken out for a good while and given extra training or given time off or something like that. Because this was another bad one here. What, what did you think of of the fight itself? I suppose and of Herb Dean's uh, fuck up. Yeah, I think there's probably worse M- worse MMA refs, but yeah, it's in terms of like at the top of the UFC, it's definitely it's been a few years now where he's been making near constant uh, errors every every show. Uh, there seems to be some kind of every couple of shows at least there seems to be some kind of error and yeah. as you mentioned there's been like detrimental effects on people's careers like Weidman uh, you know it's it, we have no real actual you know solid evidence that that was that that was the case that he's never been the same since that but if you if you go back and look at that it's it's you know one plus one looks to equal two you know what I mean he, he was dominant before that he beat Anderson Silva he Twice he destroyed Mark Munoz in the fight before that. He beat uh, Maya, cutting a shitload of weight on short notice. You know, mm-hmm. he he was a, a different fighter than he is now. Uh, completely different since that. Since that kind of, you know, when you're when you're getting ground and pounded from full mount, I think it's it's even worse. Mm-hmm. And you know, Herb Herb, he just let it go way too long, like way too long. I, I can't even remember how many minutes, but several minutes too long, and that around that's next like round a, a really yeah. egregious one. Yeah, into the next round, yeah. and it's a very egregious one. Like there hasn't really been an egregious one like that since, but there's been a lot of you know errors and early and slightly late stoppages, and now he's falling over people, and it just uh, you know it's just not a good look, and it's dangerous. Uh, you know, obviously Whiteman, you know, he has no visible signs of it but his career is definitely you know yeah gone off the it's definitely nowhere near and yeah gone off the rails and nowhere near and there's no real prospect of of getting back to where he was Mm -hmm. you know there's probably a lot of factors going on there but that definitely didn't help and the refs meant to be there to protect you and save you from from things like that yeah but obviously um you know there's all refs make mistakes but this is kind of becoming too too frequent i think Mm -hmm. with herb 100 100 percent um the uh, preliminary card then, you know, not not that great, to be honest. You know, uh, the main card is a good card, but you, the, the prelims, I didn't think were great. Saryukin, Saryukin got a, a pretty good win over Matt Frivola. Although Frivola, you know, uh, okay, he lost 30-27 and 30-26 on one card at 2-30-27. Made, I thought he made a good account of himself after, you know, the, the fights were cancelled this week. <laughs> that Otisar lad got fucking cut from the UFC because I don't know if people have heard it, they probably have, but like he broke the biosecure bubble with he got people to sneak in, gave him his wristband and gave him some sort of bag and the UFC found out about it and he got cut, so a bit of madness there. And um uh, my boy Nazrat Hackbrass missed weight, I believe, or or something like that, or was on physically unable to to fight anyway. And uh this fight was made. But uh Frivola, look he get a gave a good account of himself on short notice. Uh, but sorry, you can definitely the better fighter there, and definitely want to to keep an eye on uh, the the clash of I suppose gatekeepers in Brad Tavares versus Antonio Carlos Jr. 
Tavares won that 30-27 uh, on two cards of 29-28 a unanimous decision Juliana Pena our girl we both gave her in the uh, in the betting show not a great betting show for you got two out of three in fairness I only got one out of three um, so but she you know Sarah McMahon came out and won the first round uh, the second round Juliana Pena all three judges gave her the round from the bottom very very good judging fantastic judging uh but she came out and it didn't matter because she got the rear naked choke uh, in the third and sarah mcmahon seemed to just fall off a cliff i I feel like sarah mcmahon you know we've seen videos of her before and i you know i don't think she because she's had obviously issues with not being able to get fights and i think she had a baby a couple of years ago and stuff and you know she has a lot of expenses and different sort of things and i'm not sure if she's able to train full time i would kind of bet that she has a job and has things going as well and it it shows sometimes with sarah man she has so much talent but it's just she falls off a cliff too often to get to the very top and it's it's a you know it's always kind of been a bit disappointing with sarah mcmahon i've always had a soft spot for her but you know she came out and she showed what she's good at last night and then juliana pena just kind of took it away from her and a great win she called out amanda nunes afterwards so i wouldn't be surprised at all if that fight happens to be honest because there aren't that many uh, contenders for amanda nunes so a uh, good win a great win for uh, juliana pena uh then marcin Pracino beat khalil roundtree jr um, a couple of people, you know, were kind of saying this was a close one. I see, I saw a few people had it from Khalil, but unanimous decision. All three judges had a twenty nine twenty eight uh, for Marcine, so that's very solid judging uh, there. When when there's unanimous decision in such a, a close fight, and definitely, you know, you can take their word for it. Uh, they know better than any of us. And then uh, Nick Lintz, his usual tough, tough self, went in there for me. Won the first round. Um, via uh, um, the, the guillotine attempt you know uh, all three judges I believe had the first round for him um, another uh, I think uh, one judge had another round for Nick Lintz so made it a split decision one judge had Nick Lintz winning I don't know maybe I need to go back and see it but I didn't see Nick Lintz winning the second round and Ivolev looked good from the, the second round on uh, and then uh, Amir Albazi got a, a good 29-28 win uh, in his uh, in his fight as well Graham before we go I know we mentioned this on the um, on the podcast on Patreon during the week, but Reese McKee was cut this week. We we should definitely mention it here on on this podcast, uh, as well. Um, I know we we kind of reacted to it, and I think I think most people in Irish MMA circles are kind of like, you know, Reese deserved another fight. He came in on short notice, and he fought uh, Hamza Shemaev, who's obviously you know the greatest prospect in the world at the moment. Came in and fought Alex Morono. You know, made a good account himself, gave a good fight. Maybe not his best performance. I think Reese would say that himself and and lost the decision. Um, but like when you have a, a fun fight and a fight against a monster, I think you definitely deserve a third fight. And the UFC didn't give it to him. Everyone, I think, in Irish MMA circles yeah. are a bit disappointed, aren't they? Yeah, in the past, you kind of if you did the UFC, kind of jumped in on short notice against like in like a match like that. You kind of against a guy like Shimaev, you, you kind of got that written off but uh maybe because of the pandemic and the lack of european shows played against them like you know they're planning on doing an irish show they're pl- planning on doing several uh uk show or several uh, european shows that that they they couldn't do now because because of the pandemic and they don't know how long that's going to go on like i think if, if reese goes back to the cage wars for example or anywhere wins a few fights against uh you know known guys um uh, he'll be he'll be straight back in there but uh yeah, it is. You know, it's it's disappointing for him, but uh, it's not the end of the world. You know, he's a young guy, and it's a uh, it's um d- there's a you know if he if he can put it together again and uh, you know uh, string the wins together, I think there's there's 
you know, no reason why he wouldn't be re-signed. Yeah, look, I think when re-signed for UFC, I remember I talked to him on, on the morning of his debut, and, you know, he was kind of saying this was the first time he'd ever put on the UFC gloves, ever been at a UFC event. And, like, I, that's something that has to be an issue. And now he's done it, you know, a couple of times. Okay, he's lost and stuff, but he has that experience. And if he... Some people, you know, they get, they get cut from the UFC... And that's basically the end of their career. You know, we've seen it with the guys like even Shea Mills. I don't like bringing up examples. But, like, he went out of the UFC, fought a couple of times. And he was never the same. You know, went up in weight, kind of put on a bit of weight. Like, that can happen. Or you can go out and you can be, you know, I don't know. There's probably a hundred examples of people who've got cut from the UFC and come back and, and, you know, did really well. Who was the one last week? There was someone last week that was fighting... I can't remember, but like he, you know, you could be one of them. Go out and fight four or five times for Cage Warriors, win the Cage Warriors title, defend it, defend it again, and then you'll be right back in the UFC. So, you know, if Reese McKee has the right mindset, which he seems to have, he can absolutely get back there. And when he does, and if he does, it'll, it'll be in a, a better position than when he got there the first time. Because, like, I think a, f- a few people, maybe even Reese himself, and you know, he's, uh, you know, I'm sure he doesn't regret taking the decision or anything, but like, it was a little bit early. He was about to fight for the Cage Warriors title. And as we've seen with lads over the last while, you know, fighting for that title and then maybe having one or two title defenses, I think is the way to go. You're 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 fully prepared then when you get there. And the problem now as well, as we've seen with all of the U, the the Cage Warriors champions that have gotten in, gotten into the UFC, they have all gotten tough matchups. Look at Mason Jones. Look at like Chris Fishgold and other people. They're all getting really tough matchups. Look at Nathaniel Wood. These guys are getting tough fights, so you better be fucking prepared and really prepared if you're a, a top cage warriors fighter going into the UFC because they're not giving any easy matchups to anyone or any kind of warm-up fights or anything. So, um, yeah, uh, as I said, um, you know, unfortunate for Reese to, to, you know, be cut from the UFC. And, you know, all we have now in the UFC is Irish fighters is, is Dean Barry, who has yet to make his debut, and Conor McGregor, who's, you know, obviously very uncertain now what's going to happen next. So... No, not a great time for Irish MMA in terms of the UFC, but sure. Look, we'll go again and we'll, we'll, we'll uh, regroup and there's a good next bunch coming. Um, Graham, one or two questions before we go and we'll, I'll answer the rest in the Q&A. There's a pile of questions. I think there's about 70 or 80 questions in. Please don't send any more. <laughs> I have enough questions. You know, it'll probably be a two-part Q&A actually this week. So, patreon.com forward slash severe podcast. And thanks to everyone who supported us uh, over the last week. It's been overwhelming the amount of support. Unbelievable. So, fair play to uh, to each and every one of you. And especially Parig. Uh, not Parig Forum. Parig O'Loughlin, I believe is his name. Let me pull it up here. But, yeah, he's... Uh, he, uh, very very kind and er- everyone you know who signed up over over the last while let me let me call out a few of them here yeah Parig O'Loughlin uh, Steve, uh, Jimmy O'Grady Danny Murphy Andy Bartik John Lawler Andy Mack Killian Kearns Bin W uh, Owen Leonard Jimmy David Fleming Robert Donat Motherfucker Jones Fair play to you Brian Moore and Christopher Callanan uh, Collie Innes Harry uh, Craig Murphy Corey McGuigan Andrew Dial, and everyone else as well there's a few more names there but Fair play to, to each and every uh, one of you. Question, Graham. Andy Hall asks, was Poirier better than expected or, or McGregor worse than expected? I, I think I think it was McGregor worse than expected more than anything else. I, I was expecting Poirier to, to fight pretty well, to be honest. I know I, I picked McGregor to win, but I, I was expecting Poirier to kind of fight the way he fought and maybe McGregor to, to be able to deal with that. But I, I definitely would put it more on McGregor's side fighting badly what what do you think Graham yeah well I think it's a mixture of both I think the le- like the the way he implemented the the game plan the leg kicks was was very very uh, 
very well executed and I think yeah as we discussed before I think the, the wrong game plan for for McGregor so yeah I think it's it's a mixture of both mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's more as you said uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, Tim Delegan does Connor need to go to another gym? Kavanaugh has done everything with him. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe that's it as well. And not saying that the you know the the gym is terrible or anything, but sometimes you know even in other sports you get as far as you can kind of go with someone and you need to kind of move on. So maybe that's it, and that's kind of what Tim is referring to there, I suppose. But um, Darko, now that uh, apparently McGregor is not as dominant as he once was, and MMA has evolved and left him behind, is boxing the only way left for him? Like, I don't know where these boxing fights still open. Like, they were talking about Pacquiao last night, but McGregor was kind of saying that might be off the table. Now, he didn't quite say that, but the way the tone of voice kind of seemed like it was. Uh, do you think he could be go about to boxing next, Graham? Do you think it could be that, or do you think he'll want to prove a point and come back to MMA? I think MMA, yeah. I think so. Um, yeah, I, I don't think... Uh, you know, I don't think the, the interest is... is Connor's interest is uh, anywhere near as high in the Manny fight as it was in the Floyd or bout as it was in the Floyd bout. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I think I think MMA is extremely likely to be next. Yeah, the last question here from Andy Hall, and we'll answer obviously the rest over on Patreon. Prediction, Graham. We'll both do it. Will McGregor ever hold the UFC belt again? What do you think? Um, yeah, oh, I think so. Yeah, I think he, 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 it might even I think it might even be in the in the next fight if if he does fight. You know, Dustin Poirier again, as, we, as they both seem to be angling for. If Habib doesn't come back, it could even be, you know, his next fight. And I'd say there'd be a lot of uproar about, you know, coming off a loss, getting getting a fight. But as we mentioned earlier, you know, Charles Oliveira is not going to make Dustin anywhere near as much money. Dustin's, you know, saying he's not going to fight Chandler. As we discussed, that's probably a money thing as well. Like the big money fight is this trilogy. So, you know, Dustin's, you know, he's going to want to, you know, kind of make a nest egg for himself here and he's already kind of taken a big step towards that but a, a rematch striking while the, while the iron's hot would, would be probably the, the best business move for and sporting move for, for Dustin yeah so yeah it's look it's an intro and uh, do I think McGregor will win a title again it depends it, I, I think if he changes things he's still a young guy he still has the ability uh, if a lot of things change I think he could but do I think he's going to change those things? I, I don't know. I I, I, he, I don't think so, to be honest. So I'm going to say no. I don't think McGregor will win the title again. But, you know, I hope I'm wrong. It'll be great for Irish MMA if he did. But, look, we'll see. We'll see. And <laughs> McGregor likes proving people wrong. So maybe I, I'm wrong at one of those people. So we'll see how uh, we'll see how it goes. Anyway. So, right. That's it. Um, Man United versus Liverpool in like two hours, Graham. We're both kind of hoping to lose out there. <laughs> No one wants to win in the FA Cup, so there's no rivalry here this evening, really, is there? Oh, yeah. No, well, like once the game starts and it's against Man United, I probably, yeah, probably, uh, you know, want them to win. But if it was, if it was like, for example, Cheltenham, like, you know, Man City, and you put out the kids and just kind of happily go out of the cup, and but it's it's a different story when it's Man United, you know. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what teams they both put out, like. It seems like from from the Burnley team that Liverpool put out and lost uh, the game that they were kind of getting getting players ready for this Man United game. So I think they're going to go strong, but there might be a few a few uh, youngsters in there as well. And Crack, Sean. Uh, I don't know. Like I don't, 
you know, uh, I don't want to be in the cup, but I don't want to lose to Man United, so I, I, I don't want to lose to Man United more than I don't want to be in the cup. <laughs> yeah, that's what it does. Isn't it? I, I wouldn't be too bothered, to be honest, but, yeah, look, I hope we win, but, like, maybe I hope we lose the next round. <laughs> so I wouldn't be, I don't think either will be too devastated, but uh, it's great to see, you know, Liverpool falling apart at the seams anyway. It's absolutely made my month, to be honest. been absolutely fantastic to see uh, the, the degradation and the fuck-up that uh, the Liverpool team has become and that i predicted and it's absolutely fantastic maybe we'll do a soccer podcast uh one of these days but uh yeah no, no we got to go no down comments. the champions league back won't it <laughs> who cares who cares about that cup sure that's not even the champions league does that still exist or what about the european super cup thing that they're getting now sure the champions league is only a, like the uefa cup you know waste of time they'll be, they'll be replacing the premier league with that or not replacing it but the the good teams will be leaving and to, to go to that if that goes ahead yeah but then it'll be just a better version of champions league won't it yeah well it'll, yeah, it'll be are. i don't know what like it probably won't be as as it is like it'll probably it'll probably be uh you know different teams from different leagues will want different rules and stipulations and stuff it'll be interesting to see what happens if it does happen but I don't know, there'll be a lot of resistance to getting it done as well, but, you know, money talks, so I wouldn't be that surprised if if in a few years it does happen. Money talks, Graham, when people need shoes and socks. There you go, right. That's it. Uh, Do you want to sing your your Match Nell song before we go, no? (laughs) No, no, you have to... Pay Patreon for that, yeah, for that Patreon, kind of performance. Yeah, 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 or just go on Twitter. <laughs> just go, yeah, I put it up there for free. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks very much uh, for listening. And uh, we'll see you all next time. I no, I forgot to look up a, a quote of the day today, so I just don't have one. So tune in next week for the inspirational quote of the week. Thanks as well. Finally, obviously, thanks to everyone this week for the, the support. And and uh, we, you know, we, we are very, very grateful that everyone that signed up on Patreon did it and, and supported us. And I feel like we gave you your money worth this month and, and every month uh, so uh, we, we really appreciate that and thanks to obviously Dan Hardy and Luke and Ariel and um, Robbie Fox and Phil uh, O'Connor as well for coming on fair play to them to, to give us their time for uh, uh, for Patreon and for our YouTube as well so I appreciate all that and appreciate everyone who gave us our time listening to the podcast as well uh, so yeah thanks everyone uh, we'll see you all next week good luck <laughs>